pastor here at Trinity. Trinity is uh, one church in multiple locations that really shares one mission, and that's to help people look, live, and love more like Jesus. And tonight, and as Mike said, as we move through the rest of this weekend, we have an opportunity to walk with Jesus, to walk with him in his final days and hours as he goes to the cross and ultimately to the victory of the empty tomb. But it all begins tonight at this table. And so we're going to take a moment uh, to, to pause here at the table to look at what was happening on that night when he was betrayed. But before we do, I think it's only right that we allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message that he has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray together with me? Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that here this evening we have an opportunity to come to the table, to sit with you once more, and to hear you as you speak to us about the work which you came to accomplish, something that you and you alone could do. And so, Lord, as we sit at this table, we pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds, and open our hearts, that we would not simply behold you, but hear you, not simply hear you, but understand you, not simply understand, but accept your word into our hearts. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would indeed be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So tonight is the night in which we look back to that moment uh, uh, on the evening when Jesus was betrayed. Uh, That moment before he was handed over to be uh, put on trial and ultimately executed. It's it's an evening in which we uh, talk about celebrating the Eucharist or communion or the Lord's Supper or or whatever you're kind of used to calling it from whatever your church background is. Uh, But this is an important moment. This meal is one that Christians have celebrated since that time over the course of 2,000 years. And there's a reason why... At the center of our faith is this supper, is this meal. You know, when I think about meals and, and, and dinners, I, one of the things that I've really come to appreciate over the years is actually small gatherings around the dinner table. I do come from an extended family, and typically when we would get together on holidays, it would not be strange for there to be 20, 30, sometimes even 40 people uh, together for things like Thanksgiving, uh, because it wouldn't just be, you know, uh, my mom and dad. It would also be aunts and uncles. It would be cousins. It would be significant others. It would then be the cousins' children, and it just kind of grew and grew and grew. And while it's fun to be in that crowd, honestly, over the years, I now prefer smaller dinners. And the reason why is because it's in smaller dinners, gathered in fellowship around a table, that the stories start to come out. In a crowd, you just don't have the space to do that. But in a smaller gathering, you really get to hear what's on a person's heart. Sometimes those stories are simply the stories of the day, right? Those highs and lows that we have as we kind of moved through our day, as we went to work and came home or went to school and learned and, and came back. Other times, the stories are a little bit deeper. It's a recollection of our family and our family's history. It's the story of how, you know, your mom and dad met, a story about the places that you lived before, the other apartments and homes where you had that dinner table. The dinner table becomes this touch point, In which people don't simply share a meal, they share their heart. 
And when Jesus gathered together with his disciples for this meal, one of the things that he told them is he says, I've eagerly desired to celebrate this meal with you. Eagerly desired to celebrate this meal with you because it was here that he was going to share his heart with them. But this wasn't just any other meal. This was a Passover feast. Passover was a, was a totally different kind of meal altogether because it was a meal where there was a story at the center. A story that, that yes, helped the people, God's people, the people of Israel, remember who they are and what God had done for them. And, and it was interesting because throughout that meal, there was always a question that would be asked. Actually, four times during the meal, the, the head of the household would ask, what makes this night different from all other nights? And as they would move through the meal, the children and the people around the table would answer, on, on every other night, we would eat leavened bread. But on this night, we eat unleavened bread. What makes this night different from every other night? On every other night, we eat vegetables and herbs, but on this night, we take only bitter herbs. What makes this night different from all other nights? Every other night, we don't dip our hands in the bowl, but this night, we dip our hands twice. What makes this night different from every other night? It was on this night that the Lord our God delivered us from slavery in Egypt. At the Passover feast, they were reminded of the moment in which they were rescued and claimed as God's people. It was a night in which they actually looked backward while also looking forward. A night when they looked back to that time when God called them his own. And then a night when they also looked forward to the day when he would restore them to the promised land. When he would rescue them once more and settle them in his kingdom. And the reason that this meal was so important is not only was it about looking back and looking forward, but it was also about being sustained for the journey here and now. It was this touch point in which they were reminded of this status that they were given as God's special people. Which is why it's no coincidence that Jesus uses this meal to give his disciples an entirely different story to live by. One of the things that many scholars have noted in this very short passage, it is a short passage, this very short passage is how packed with meaning it is. Oftentimes we gather on Sundays, we hear these words spoken, right? This is my body which is given for you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. We run right over those words because we've become a little too familiar with them, but many scholars have noted that in just a few lines, Jesus is making some profound claims. Because in just these few short words, Jesus is actually touching on several different threads that we find in the Old Testament. Threads which would have been understood by his original disciples and that maybe we've lost today. The first is that Passover meal. That night in which they, as 
had been previously slaves in Egypt were rescued by God's mighty hand. That night in which they were passed over when God brought his judgment on Egypt, when they sacrificed a lamb and it was the lamb's blood that protected them from judgment and ensured their freedom. But there are several other things here as well. Jesus says that this is my blood of the covenant. My blood of the covenant. What does he mean by that? Well, well, again, scholars have noted that this actually points back to another part in Exodus, Exodus chapter 24, that after God had rescued them from Egypt, he'd brought them through the Red Sea, he led them to Mount Sinai, and it was there that he gave them his law. And in that moment, what Moses did is he sacrificed what were called fellowship offerings. And he took some of the blood of the offerings and he sprinkled it on the people. And in that moment, he said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of his words. In that moment, they were marked as God's people. No longer slaves in Egypt, but a holy nation set apart for God for his purposes. And Jesus, in this moment of saying, this is my blood of the covenant, what he's saying is he's saying, here in this moment, this sacrifice, my sacrifice, marks you as a different kind of people. But he calls it a new covenant. And that's pointing to Jeremiah 31, another passage that we read just a few moments ago in which God said, there is going to come a day When as good as the old covenant was, I'm going to bring something even better. I'm going to establish a new kind of relationship with my people in which my instructions, my ways are not going to be written on stone tablets nor on scrolls of paper, but on the minds and the hearts of my people so that wherever they go, people would know the Lord. For my presence will flow out through them. And last but not least, Jesus says that the reason that this is done, the reason why this new covenant is given, is this. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And this points us to Leviticus chapters 4 and 5, where God said, in the moments when people have sinned, when they've turned their backs on me, When they've rebelled against me, my desire is to welcome them back into my presence. But in order to do that, a sacrifice has to be made and its blood must be poured out on the altar for their forgiveness. All these threads of the Old Testament are coming together in just these few lines from Jesus. Why? Because what he wants them to understand more than anything is he wants them to understand that the events that are about to take place That everything that's going to follow this meal, everything that we're going to celebrate tomorrow, everything that's going to lead us all the way to Easter Sunday, is meant to show us that we have a better kind of salvation. One that is not simply uh, delivery from physical bondage in Egypt, but delivery from the ultimate bondage to sin and death. That we have a better kind of covenant in which we are a people who are claimed now by God's grace and his forgiveness through Jesus, that our lives are meant to look like Jesus' life. That is what will mark us as his people. And lastly, that we can know that no matter what we've done 
no matter what we ever will do, is now covered by what Christ himself was willing to pay. That it would be his life laid down so that we ourselves might be forgiven. You see, what's so beautiful about this meal, what's so beautiful about this celebration, is that here at this table, as we gather around this meal, we are a people who are bound together by an entirely different kind of story. A story in which God's grace and his mercy and his presence is at the very heart and the very center. You see, what's so beautiful about the Lord's Supper is that it's here that all the seeming paradoxes of the Christian faith collide. What we find here at this table is a king who sets a feast for his subjects. That here at this table we find a master who serves his followers. That here at this table we encounter a God who suffers for the ones that he loves. At this table we encounter death, which ultimately is defeated by life itself. The reason why we celebrate this meal every Sunday The reason why we come together tonight on Monday, Thursday, is to be reminded that as Christians, we operate in a way that's totally different from the rest of the world. Every other religion, every other philosophy will tell you that if you desire a relationship with God or the divine, it's up to you to do it. You're the one who has to set the table. You're the one who has to serve. You're the one who has to sacrifice. You're the one who has to perform. You're the one who needs to meet the laws and the requirements to have the wisdom, the strength, the moral fortitude, the moral fiber to achieve in order to be accepted. And yet here at this table, what we are told is we are welcome. That though none of us deserves to sit here, the master sets this table and he says, I have desired to eat this meal with you. I have longed to have this Passover feast because it's here that I want you to remember whose you are. You are mine. You are precious in my sight. And all that I have done for you has marked you as mine from now until I come again in glory. It's a meal in which, yeah, we look back, but we look back to a greater salvation. It's a meal in which, yes, we look forward, but we look forward to the day when God's going to come and not just establish some earthly kingdom, but is going to make the very ends of the earth the farthest bounds of his reign and rule. That he will make everything new. And it sustains us in the journey because it reminds us we are a people who are claimed and marked by grace. And that is what we are called to give away. A new and better relationship, a certain future and hope, a greater salvation, and a love which has no limits. Monday Thursday is indeed a beautiful moment because it's this moment when we are gathered together by the one who gave everything for us. 
and once more reminded of the grace that we need for the journey. And so it's with that in mind as we prepare now our hearts to receive that meal that I invite you to pray with me. Would you pray? Lord God, we give you thanks that here in Maundy Thursday, you turn the world upside down. You set a different kind of meal for your people. One in which our king serves, in which our master gives, in which our God lays down everything in order to make us his own. And Lord, it is so easy to run right over those words and to forget just how beautiful the invitation is. And so tonight, Lord, we pray that we would be reminded, if we're walking in here and feeling unworthy, I pray that what we would hear is your invitation. That if we're walking in here feeling just numb, I pray that our hearts would be softened by the presence of our King who kneels to serve. And Lord, that as we come to this table, we would be filled once more with your presence, your very body and blood which go with us to strengthen us for the journey that we might overflow in grace to those around us. We give you thanks that in these simple gifts we are reminded of the greatest gift. Your life laid down, your blood poured out for those that you call your own. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.